the, the theme of the series has been starter culture, which if you're into baking, you might understand that language. Uh, in, in baking, I'm not a huge baker, but I, I get yeast. I've tried to make bread before, and I've tried to make pizza dough. And I know that yeast, when it's, it's called a starter culture, when it gets in dough, the dough rises and grows into something bigger. And Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like that. It's like when uh, someone uses yeast and puts it in dough and it grows and it grows and it grows. And that's the kingdom of God permeating like yeast into dough, permeating every aspect of our lives until we grow and flourish. And the world around us begins to taste and experience that goodness of that rising power. So we've been looking at that as, as an image, the starter culture as an image for the early church and a reminder as we look into their stories about what it can mean for us in our day today here in our church, especially as things kind of get going a little bit more after two years struggling through a pandemic that isn't yet quite over, but nevertheless we have a little bit more freedom. So we're looking at starter cultures. We're looking at the early church. We're looking at how things can, uh, we, things that we can do that allow the kingdom of God and the good news of Jesus to permeate through every aspect of our lives, every aspect of our community. And we're going to get into some of that here today. Let's go right into um, sort of the focus today. As part of our growing community here, we want to be sure that we are uh, basing our hope. We have an unshakable hope in Christ. What are the things we hope about? What are the things that give us hope when things are difficult? Where do we look uh, in terms of a direction for where we're going? Well, if our hope isn't in Christ, we will very quickly get lost as a church and as a community. And we're going to see how that, that bedrock hope that was in Jesus motivated the early church through some very difficult seasons. Much more difficult even than the pandemic in some ways. But we're also going to look what it means for us as a growing community to have a defiant joy. And I'll explain that more as we get going. But a defiant joy that comes from the Spirit. Joy is one of those uh, signs, the Bible tells us, that the Spirit is actually alive and working in us. That God is present amongst us. And so if we have joy, it's a sign that God is close. And so we want to experience the closeness of God. And one of the ways we'll know if, if we have God close to us is that even in great difficulty, we will have joy. So let's, let's get into it now. And I want to take you to this um, idea of unshakable hope in Christ. And we're going to focus on Acts chapter 2. This is going back to kind of a foundational text in the story of Acts, the story of the early church. We sang about it just now, that when um, the Spirit of Christ came, it just sparked the fire of the early church. It started the church and it was born. And so on Pentecost... Um, this great celebration was happening and the Spirit of God fell upon the apostles and other followers of Jesus and they began communicating the story of Jesus in a profound way and people from different nations, different languages started to hear that story and respond. It was an incredible day, a beautiful day where the Spirit of God was given to the followers of Jesus to give us power, to give us life, to give us all that we need for this life now. And Peter gets up. You might remember Peter. He's one of the, the boldest, loudest uh, disciples that there is. And Peter gets up to explain what's going on. And he uses something that many people in the crowd will have heard. He uses a psalm of David. 
to explain to them what's happening. And here's some of that. It's talking about uh, Jesus here and, and what they all have heard and seen in the story and life of Jesus. He says, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him. So this is the psalm. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken. For he's right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Now Peter's applying this psalm to the person of Jesus, the Holy One. When David wrote it, David was probably thinking of himself. And he's saying, I am the Holy One as King. But he's saying, I am down in the dumps. I feel like death. You ever had a day where you feel like death? But he says, my body will rest in hope because God isn't going to leave me in death. God isn't going to allow me to rot in the grave. God's presence is restorative and my body rests in hope. I won't be shaken. You've shown me the way of life instead of death and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. So, Those words are being applied to Jesus, but now it becomes a message for us as well because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. And so we can claim those same words that are spoken in that uh, birthing moment of the church. We can claim the words that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken. My body rests in hope. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. And the way of Jesus says that when even when things are difficult and it looks like death, our bodies rest in hope. Why? Because Jesus is the true king that has defeated death. And he proved that by his resurrection. So we can have this tremendous hope no matter what. No matter what happens, no matter what is going on around us, no matter what difficulties we face, whether it's a global pandemic or it's just a job loss in our home or something very personal, whatever we're facing, our bodies can rest in hope because the true king, Jesus, has defeated death. We always have that hope to cling to. And it's an unshakable hope because if he can defeat death, then no matter what happens to us, he can bring us back to life. Even if we end our lives, if our lives are ended and taken from us, we have the hope of something eternal because of Jesus. Death is always defeated. So we have this unshakable hope that grounds us, that roots us in the source of life, which is Jesus. And you've shown me the way of life. You will fill me with the joy of your presence. So this hope produces joy. Joy isn't based on our circumstances. It doesn't matter how much difficulty is going on around us. Joy is alive because there is a life within us, regardless of those things. Happiness, happiness depends on what's going on around you, but joy is about this internal blessing and presence of God. Maybe you've had an experience like that where someone has has died in your family, but in the midst of that, a story 
reminds you of their faith or reminds you of a blessing you received through them and you just start laughing. And there's this kind of holy laughter that still is present in those dark moments because God gives you a breath of fresh air, a breath of His Spirit. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments. I've had more than I wish I could ever count because I've seen more than my share, I think, of grief. And some of those times I have been with you, sharing with you in your brokenness. In the midst of our difficulties, we won't be left to rot in the grave. We will come alive in Jesus by His Spirit. That will give us a great joy. So let's keep going here. Let's go to the next slide. And you see that immediately after this moment where Peter is kind of communicating the story and life of Jesus, the hope that they now have because death has been defeated. You see that people start gathering together. And we've been referring to this passage. It's just a little bit later in the chapter. It's immediately after that. It says, They worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. They had joy because of what Jesus had done. They had joy because the Holy Spirit was amongst them. and There was power and they defeated death. All the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It's beautiful. And obviously there's, this is a time of peace. This is a time where it's easy to be happy. It's easy to know the goodness of God because things are going well. And they have the goodwill of all of the people. But that joy will continue because it's rooted in something more real than the circumstances they're in. And that joy will continue through great difficulty. Let's keep going. Now in Acts chapter 4, we see someone come on the scene and it's Saul. One of the first uh, moments of great pain in the life of the church. Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. So there was great joy in that city. Now listen to what's happening there. There's a few things I want to highlight for you. There was someone, and he was part of the Jewish faith, who they considered themselves still Jews at this point, because that's where the faith grew out of. But he was going around saying, this church, this whole thing that you're doing, it's awful and I want to destroy it. Now they were having meals in each other's homes. They were sharing with the poor and needy. And he felt the need to shut it down. I don't know what that says, right? But he thought what they were teaching was wrong. So there's a lot of uh, anger and vitriol towards the church. It's dangerous to be a Christian. He went from house, dragging out both men and women. Now, one of the things that that mentions for us is that even women were being taken to prison, which is something kind of new. It means that women were considered equally part of the Christian faith. It wasn't just a religion whereby men had the space to rule and lead and teach and all of that. Women were equally part of it and were as equally dangerous in his mind. And we saw that in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit is given. It's given to men and women to prophesy. So it's, it's worth noting that uh, Saul here was persecuting the entire church, not just the men to try to shut it down, but even the women, because even the women were dangerous. So ladies, you're dangerous. You're dangerous to the enemy. 
And in the Christian faith, you have power along with men. All together, we have the power of God in us. Believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. So even though something terrible happens where they're being dragged to prison, something good comes out of it. And they go wherever they can, and people start moving out of town and disappearing and getting away from there. And all kinds of things are going on that are terribly destructive. But wherever they go, they still have good news. Because no matter what's taken from them, no matter if some of them are in prison, they still can celebrate that death has been defeated. There's nothing anymore that they have to fear because Jesus has conquered death. So prison, it's inconvenient. It's not fun. But it's just a blip on the scale of eternity when you have life that can't be taken from you. And so, wherever they go, they start spreading this good news. And listen what happens. This produces joy not only in them, not only are they experiencing joy, but throughout the city, the city has joy. The good news of Jesus produces joy in the city. And people are coming to see that Jesus is transforming their life together. So here we see that As a result of great suffering and pain, good things can still come by the power of Jesus. Because Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than even death. And they have that hope, and it can't be shaken, it can't be taken from them no matter what. Let's keep going on to the next here, and we're going to start talking about defiant joy. I want to explain why I say defiant joy. And I want to do that by starting, actually, with a quote from from the prophet Bono. Um, (laughs) If if you know me, you know that I'm a big fan of U2. Um, And what I've often been surprised by, although subversively, they are Christians. And by that I mean that they they don't necessarily have the garb of the typical churchgoer, and yet their faith in Christ subversively changes the culture. And what I've witnessed over the decades that I've followed the band is a genuine faith, a rough one, an imperfect one, but a desire to follow Christ and to be shaped by that in the way that they live. So I want to I share a quote from Bono as he's, um, he's talking about his music, but he's also talking about something bigger. And, and I'll give a bit of this here. So this is from the New York Times, September 2017. He's sort of anticipating the question that people are asking him. You're putting out a song about your girlfriend when the world is on fire? Now think about that from your own perspective. Whatever is going on in your life, whatever bad thing is going on in the world that you live in, you're doing something joyful when the world is on fire? And then his response is, joy is an act of defiance. Why is that? It's because when the world is on fire and you still have joy, it means that the house that burns down isn't where you find your hope. It means that when circumstances are against you and you defy that with joy, it means that your hope isn't rooted in something that can be taken from you. So joy in the face of great difficulty is an act of defiance. It defies death. When you can stand and say, yes, 
Things have been taken from me. Yes, that relationship is gone. Yes, this is difficult. But nevertheless, God is good. That's a joy that can't be taken from you because it's not based on your circumstances. It's based on a hope that is secure in Jesus. So joy is an act of defiance against death, against the circumstances of the world. And joy shows brightly shining in the darkness. Joy shows the life of God. We can't drum it up. We can't force ourselves to feel joy. But when we are connected to God, His Word, His community where His Spirit is alive, joy will come in time. And joy, you know, sorrow may last through the night, the Scripture says, but joy comes in the morning. There's a season for grief and there's a time to feel and face that pain. But there's a time where God gives us His joy in the great nevertheless. Joy is an act of defiance against death. So let's look now into some of these scriptures. And here in Acts chapter 11, we begin to see, we just heard about how Saul was going around dragging people to prison. He was persecuting the church. And obviously this was bad news. But what was happening was people were starting to spread. And so was the story of Jesus. And as it's spreading, more and more people are coming to faith. It says this in Acts eleven nineteen. Meanwhile, the believers who'd been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. Now, Syria's been in the news lately. And Antioch is some distance away. They've gone a long way. But wherever they're going, they're telling the good news of Jesus. And what starts to happen is that people who are a long way off from Israel are becoming followers of Jesus. A very diverse crowd, in fact. We'll see that in a moment. But then we see this in verse 26, and it's told just in brackets, just a little aside. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Now, it was probably a derogatory-like nickname at the time, but it's kind of stuck for the past 2,000 years or so. This is where it all began. Our faith that we have was named in a far-off city, far away from the Israel people of God. And it's a sign and a reminder to us of how big God's dream is. That it started somewhere, but now it's getting bigger and bigger. So Antioch is the place a long, far away removed that has just a bunch of people that didn't know anything about the way of Jesus personally, where they start to come to faith, and they're the first ones that are known as Christians. So it's starting to spread. Let's go to the next slide. In, in Acts chapter 11, we read this as well. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, which is that people who weren't Jewish had become followers of Jesus, so Gentiles, when Gentiles had not only started following Jesus, but actually been given the Holy Spirit, this is what happened. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. We heard about Barnabas in Acts chapter 4 when Valerie read it. His actual name is Joseph. Barnabas means um, he's an encourager. It's like a nickname. But he's such an encourager, everyone just calls him Barnabas. No one calls him Joseph anymore. So when he arrived, when Barnabas goes to Antioch to see what's going, he takes this long trip 
That's a long trip. It's like going across Canada or something to see something you heard about in Vancouver. And when he arrived, he saw the evidence of God's blessing. He was what? How did he respond when he sees something that shouldn't have happened? It shouldn't be that Gentiles are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It shouldn't be that people are following Jesus who've never seen him or met him. It shouldn't be that people in this far-off land are following Jesus now and have received the good news and are empowered by his Spirit. It shouldn't be. That's crazy. But what's Barnabas' reaction? Barnabas was filled with joy. He was defying the culture of his day that said people of different nationalities should be kept apart. He was defying the culture of his day that said men and women should have different standing in a community. He was defying the culture of his day that said Jews versus Gentiles was a big thing. And he responded with joy because he could see the hope that was in Jesus was coming alive in the people. So he responded with joy. And he encouraged, he's an encourager, he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. In other words, to make sure that their hope was rooted in Jesus, not in something else. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. So he responded because he saw that hope alive. He responded with joy. Let's go to the next slide. Just a little bit down the road from that, in Acts 13 here, we see more about the story of Antioch. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, we heard about him, Simeon, called the Black Man, which is a nickname that could mean a lot of different things, but it probably means something, uh, he's from a different country, he's actually physically black. And what's being highlighted here is the great diversity of nationalities and races that are present in this church. This is a whole new thing that's happening, completely unlike what's happening in the Jewish church. Among the prophets and teachers of the day were Syria from Barnabas, Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, so his, his, geography, his actual geographical uh, or, or origin is being highlighted here, again, to demonstrate people are coming from all over, and this is impacting all kinds of people. Menean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, so we see someone of incredible social status. And Saul... Anyone remember the name Saul from earlier? It was just about five minutes ago. Saul has come to faith. Saul has dramatically encountered Jesus, and the same person who was persecuting the church, dragging them into prison, perhaps even killing them, has now become a Christian. And he's spent time becoming a great teacher amongst them. This was a guy who was a Jew, deeply committed to his faith, so much committed to his faith that he was willing to imprison other people and hurt other people for his faith. But now he has transformed and become so radically open to the Gentiles that he is now living among them. He has moved cities. He's gone a long way, and he's changed a lot. One day... As these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I've called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Now, what might not be totally clear from the little excerpt that I've chosen here is that they're being sent on the first mission trip of the church. This is the first time that a church has sent people out intentionally, not just because they were scattered by persecution, but intentionally sending people out to share the good news in other places. 
And so the man who persecuted the early church is now going to start new ones. Isn't that amazing? How God can transform things and turn things around in a person's life. And so Saul actually, by the end of this chapter, in fact, he's going to start going by a different name. You're going to know him by the name of Paul probably better. And he changes his name even as a way of representing of how totally different he is as a person. Is Jesus has transformed him. He has found hope that is incredibly deeply rooted in something that can't be taken from him. It's Jesus who, who has defeated death. And so this church that is an outsider church far away from Jerusalem, full of people that are diverse and from many different nations who were outsiders now coming in, is the first church that has a heart for sharing the good news with the world. And so the first church that began telling the story that ultimately has ended up with us here. And so they are sent out around the world to share the good news. Well, in their day, it was more around the Mediterranean, but the word starts to spread quickly. Let's go to the next slide here. And then just a few verses later, as things are progressing, they're not... It's not always going well just because they're going out and telling people about God. And at the end of chapter 13, we read this. The Jews stirred up the influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas. So Paul is starting to get a taste of what he had used to inflict on others and ran them out of town. So they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. Now, you would expect the story just to end there. When they shake the the dust off their feet, off their sandals, it's like a saying, we don't want anything to do with you, and we don't even want your dust on us anymore. This is like, you know, it's a pretty strong sort of symbol for people. It's a sign of great rejection. But it's more that they have been rejected. But then see what happens. The next sentence is this. So they are kicked out, run out of town, but the response is this. And the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They were just run out of town, experiencing a mob against them, and their response was joy. Because joy is an act of defiance. It doesn't matter if the crowd is against you. You can have joy doesn't matter if people have turned against you and you're run out of town. You can have joy because Jesus hasn't left you. He will be with you and you can remain unshakable. doesn't matter if all your money is taken from you and you're thrown in prison or something terrible happens or your best friend is killed in the process. You can have joy nevertheless. And it's an act of defiance against the forces in this world of death and pain and persecution. Joy is an act of defiance. And they were so filled with the Holy Spirit, so deeply rooted in the hope of Jesus, that when they were run out of town, they responded with joy. And they could laugh about it. Now, folks, we as a church, we are going to see difficult days. We might not get run out of town. You might run me out of town. (laughs) But whatever we face together, We can have a deep joy nevertheless. Because joy defies death. And the hope of Jesus lasts no matter what. 
And that's what we need to root ourselves in as a church as we go forward into whatever is next for us. We need to make sure that we are deeply rooted in the hope of Jesus, the true King who's defeated death. And we need to trust that He will guide us and lead us into life as He restores all things in the world. So the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Nick, do I have one more slide? That's the last one. So folks, how can we live that out? How can we practice that? How can we practice living the life of Christ that says no matter what our circumstances, we will respond with joy? It doesn't mean we want to laugh when something terrible is happening. We don't want to make light of that thing. It means we don't hold on to that thing. We hold on to Christ instead. Well, I think one of the ways that we do that is we gather like this around tables and we eat together. And we enjoy each other's presence. We enjoy the Spirit of God reflected in the hearts and minds of others. We also look to those around us in our city. And we look to where the needs are and we bring good news into those places so that, like we heard, other people in the city will respond with joy too. So we look around us to each other. We look beyond us to the community. And we find ourselves sharing the story that we've first heard. And, you know, I thought about this and I thought about how to end. And I just, I didn't have like, sometimes I try to have a big ending or something, right? You know, big finish, jazz hands. <laughs> and I, and I, the more I thought about it, I thought, you know what? I actually just want to do something that we have done once before. And it was about this time last year. Where we had uh, an interview with Renee Embry. Renee had done a whole um, paper for school uh, on uh, theology of play, how important it is to play. Because play allows us or reminds us to trust in God, that he doesn't just like us and love us because we can do something, but he delights in us because we're, we belong to him. And one of the, we, one of the ways that we uh, are reminded of that is through play, she said, to experience that joy to be reminded that we can defy the strains of death in our world by playing and trusting in God in that. And so I thought we would do the same thing we did as on that day. And I thought we would bounce a beach ball around the room. <laughs> because I just want you to, I want you to leave today, after the potluck, <laughs> with a visual reminder that we want to be a people of joy that points to the hope of Jesus, the reality. Yeah, this is silly, this is fun, but I hope you will remember that deeper point. We have an incredible hope that is unshakable in Jesus. And that hope gives us joy in the face of the worst possible circumstances the world can throw at us. So, let's throw a beach ball around the room for a a little bit. Ready? Okay, you're getting it first. (laughs) no spikes no spikes no spikes (laughs) keep it going
All right, we got to get over here a little bit more. <laughs> Val's not playing. <laughs> one more volley, one more volley around. <laughs> All right, let's call it there. You know, I, I think this is going to have to become an annual tradition. <laughs> I just think it's always good for us to be reminded. Always good to be reminded, as the Bible says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and, uh, and then the worship team is going to close us with a song. Um, But yeah, I hope you're able to stay for the potluck and just experience some of that joy together. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that we have just an incredible hope in you. A hope that can't be taken of us because you've conquered the grave. And you will be with us. You won't allow us to rot in the grave. Instead, we will be raised with you. So Jesus, we thank you for that incredible hope. And we we cling to that. We allow that to be part of every aspect of our lives, shaping our decisions and not allowing ourselves to fall into fear but instead to live out that fullness of joy because you are present in us by your Spirit. To allow that to empower us to, in the way of life and to allow that joy to flow through us into others to produce joy in even the difficult places within our city. No matter our circumstances, no matter what we face, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So we look to you, we cling to you, and trust in you above all else. And we thank you for the opportunity to worship you and to be reminded of that today. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's stand and sing.